we're going. Hello. Happy Monday, everyone. The happiest of Mondays be upon you. Yeah. Um, what do we usually say up here at the top? Hello. Welcome to Known Unknowns. Is that what we usually do? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so we got that done. Mm-hmm. It's me. It's Harry. It's Carly. If you hear some pitter-pattering, it's the rain. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I feel like we always have to, every episode, it's a thing. I think we have to comment on the noises around us. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, it's always, if you hear people screaming in the background, if you hear a song in the background, if you hear pitter-patters, it's rain. If you hear some thunder, it's storming out. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's always something we gotta comment on. <laughs> yeah, well, so what happens when you don't have a real studio? Yeah, that's true. It makes it interesting. I agree. Hey, one day... One day we will. Yeah, you're right. One day we will. We need to retape our air conditioning unit. Yes. Yeah, There's little... a big old hole there. Yeah, it's not sealed too good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was not. They didn't need to hear that. Uh, what's new this week for you? Um, nothing. Just a lot of working. Yeah, we've just been working a lot. I'm also at rehearsal a lot now. Yeah. So that's fun. And it is fun. I'm not... It is really fun. (laughs) Uh, But it's exhausting because I'm working more than I really ever have. And I'm at rehearsal. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. So it's a little... Like, just a a lot going on. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm in rehearsal is because it's a puppet show, so we don't have to be face-to-face with anyone, and we can easily keep six feet distance and wear masks, and they don't... Uh, most of the scenes only have, like, a couple people in it, so it's not like I... Mm-hmm. I only call certain people every hour, and yeah. I'm okay. sure people will be like, why are you... So, I'm trying to say, we are. I'm being very safe. I'm more unsafe, way more unsafe at work, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> At our day job, I should say. Acting is work. But This is work. This is work. It is. It's ugh. Heck yeah, we're being safe. This yeah. is the safest thing to be doing right now. Yeah, I know. TBH. Everyone should have a podcast right now. I don't know why I'm getting so I worked up. I, I get worked up a lot and Harry's like, "Okay." And I'm like, "Harry, I'm just getting worked up, okay? I just work myself up a lot." I know you do. Okay, but like I like to work myself up. Okay. I don't like it when you comment on me getting worked up. I, okay. All right. <laughs> this is a Carly and Harry relationship corner. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just um, airing out all of our problems on this podcast. No, One of us is. <laughs> uh, so you you have nothing to talk about this week? Um, not really. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, do we want to just start? Uh, sure. Or do or want we we wanted to read our spamoscope, didn't we? Oh, are we? we doing that at the top? I don't know. What did you want to do? At the, did you want it at the end? No, let's do it at the top. Oh, yeah. Ready? Um, yeah, okay, so let me got... read today's uh, email that we are basing it off of, okay? Okay. Does everyone know what this is? I hope so. Uh, The Spamoscope? Well, if you listened to last week's episode, you'd know. Well, we, you know, we, our our show email gets spam frequently, and so we... uh, Oh, every day, I think. (laughs) You know, and so 
Carly said last week that she sort of views it as her version of a horoscope. Mm -hmm. And so we've decided to make that part of the show. Mm -hmm. So we take a spam email subscriber and we read their first name, their email address, and their message that they oh, left we us. we include the email address in it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think so. All right. Yeah. Okay, I do. if that's what you want, sure. Yeah. Fine. Mostly just the name and the message, but the email this time caught my eye. I don't know why. Okay. If the email's interesting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add it in. Right. Um, so this one is first name is internal. The email is copy3 at AOL.com. And the message this week is ergonomic rubber keyboard. Mm -hmm. So let me just read um, some stuff we came up with here and then we'll spitball a little bit. Right. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Do you want me to do that? Sure. Okay. So today you're going to look inward and take comfort in looking inward. <laughs> Be flexible like rubber learn something new do some research on your computer <laughs> okay or i guess you since coming from internal you could think of this as um a message from yourself yeah oh shoot yes so this or is... just like listen to the messages coming from inside you in your heart yeah listen to your heart listen to your heart when he's you. Is that the song? I have no Listen idea. Listen to your heart. It sounds There's like... nothing else you can do. I mean, it seems like I any song. I where you are. I should really be a singer. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why. Listen to your heart. Yeah. Listen to the voices coming from inside you, telling you to be flexible and comfortable in your work, I guess. Yeah, at your uh, desk job that you're doing at home now. Right. Be yeah. comfortable in your work. Right. Uh, or uh, when you're... Just in your everyday work, art. Find, find work. a balance between productivity and um, comfort and be flexible with yourself. I don't know. Yeah, don't be afraid to copy and paste some shit for your next uh, essay that you okay, have to well, write. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't don't plagiarize. That's what I took from it. I'm, every time I hear the word copy, I think, ooh, like copy and paste. <laughs> That's my favorite feature. <laughs> um, is that it today? I don't know. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, internal... Um, uh, Comfort, internal. I was trying to remember. I was Sorry. trying to th read the email again. What is it? Ergonomic rubber keyboard. Oh yeah. Or do you want the email address? No, no, that's what I was. Internal, from internal ergonomic rubber keyboard. Take from that what you will. Yeah, I pulled it up for you if you want to see it. No, I got it. I just Isn't that inspirational? I think people are really gonna like these spamoscopes. I hope so. We'll, I we'll enjoy work. this. We'll figure it out. As we go, yeah, work? I think it did. I think we did good. Okay, great, fine. I like uh, having a baseline that we come up with, and then just really spitballing, you know. Sure. Talk, it all goes together, really. Yeah. Okay. So, do you want to get into it? Yeah. Cool. Sorry, I'm hungry. You are. Yeah. Oh no. 
It's okay. He gets grumpy when he's hungry, everyone. I'm just hungry. Here you go, though. Stinden. Stinden time. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Are you? Or do yeah. you need to take a break and eat? No, I'm fine. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go. Okay. Do you want to take a last chance? Do you want to take a break to eat? No. Okay. You, you're you going to have to sit through like an hour. I know. Okay. I'm going to go because I'm excited to tell this. I'm also hungry, though. <sighs> All right. I'm just going to do this. Okay. We're going to do it. Okay. So... On August 7th, 1994, mm-hmm. in Oakville, Washington, uh, rain began to fall, blanketing a 20-square-mile area. So let me tell you a little about Oakville before I get started. <laughs> okay. That was to set us up. So right. some rain has fallen in Oakville. <laughs> okay, it's a rainy So day. Oakville is a city in Grays Harbor County, Washington, United States. Okay. It was incorporated in 1905 with booming lumber, railway, and farming industries creating the early foundations of the community. The population was 684 in the 2010 census mm-hmm. and the 2018 sorry, 2018 estimate is 690. Uh-huh. So it seems like they've gained 6 people. The nickname is City of Oakville and their motto is Acorns. Okay. According to Wikipedia. Wait, their motto is acorns? It says motto, acorns. Interesting. It says nickname, city of Oakville. Okay. And then motto, acorns. All Look, right. That's, that's the word motto, right? Yeah. Motto slash mottos, acorns. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I just thought it was funny, so I added that's... it in. Okay. Are you ready about, are you ready to hear about this weird day and, in 1994, on August 7th in Oakville, Washington, yeah. at 3 a.m.? Yeah. Though rain is common there, residents began to note that uh, that it was not water falling from the sky. <laughs> well, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. But a strange, gelatinous substance they had never seen before. And over a period of three weeks, it fell a total of six times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. For th- oh, wow. Yeah. Weird. I know. I Weird, thought it was right? just like a one-time thing when no. you mentioned it before. No, that's why it's so strange, because it happened multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, officer, date, and if you don't know, gelatinous substance. Oh, so the reason I really wanted to tell this story was because that last weekend or whenever I was home, me and my cousin and Harry, we watched uh, the movie Onward, the Pixar movie, uh-huh. and like the joke uh, that one of the people tells is like, there's a gelatinous cube that will, like, disintegrate your body if you fall into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it touches you, it, like, disintegrates everything that it touches. So yeah. I was like, gelatinous substance falling from the sky. <laughs> Thought about the gelatinous cube. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, so think of, like, jello falling from the sky, kind of. Interesting. So Officer David Lacey was on patrol with a civilian friend. Was it, At 3 a.m. Was it jello falling from the sky? No. Oh, okay. When the downpour began, when he turned on his windshield wipers, they smeared it against the windshield instead of washing it off. Mm. Quote, we turned our windshield wipers on and it just started smearing to the point where we could almost not see. And we both looked at each other and said, 
geez, this isn't right. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, basically, and where did this come from? End quote. (laughs) The obscured windshield forced him to pull into a gas station to try and clean it manually. After getting a pair of latex gloves for safety, he said, quote, the substance was very mushy. It's almost like if you had jello in your hand and you could pretty much squish it through your fingers. We did have some bells go off in our heads that basically said, this isn't right. This isn't normal. Hmm. End quote. That afternoon. Ready? Are you listening to me? I'm I'm listening. Okay. That afternoon, Officer Lacey suddenly fell ill. Oh. Mm -hmm. Quote. I was to the point where I could hardly breathe. I started to put it together that possibly, whatever the substance was, it made me violently sick like I never had been before, to the point where it just totally shut me down. Mm. End quote. Weird. Yeah. Local resident Dottie Hearn stepped outside after it had stopped and noticed it was everywhere. Quote, it looked like hail lying on top of the wood box and and everywhere else. Uh, So I just went over and I touched it. And it wasn't hail. It was a gelatinous-like material. Weird. End quote. The blobs, about a half size of a rice, about half the size of rice grains. So it oh. looked like rain. It right. was that tiny. Yeah, it looked like rain. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Might have gone unnoticed had it not been for a number of circumstances, beginning with a small shed covered with black asphalt roofing. Uh, Sunny Barcliffe who is uh, Dottie Hearn's daughter, who moved moved to Oakville last year from Phoenix after working, or the year before, from Phoenix after working for six years as Director of Occupational Safety and Health for the Arizona branch of the National Safety Council, noticed the clear-like particles on the shed roof after the rain stopped. Uh By the afternoon that day, Dottie had also become mysteriously and violently ill. Hmm. Quote, I started feeling dizzy. Everything started moving around and around and it got worse. And as it did, I became increasingly nauseated. End quote. An hour lady, an hour later, oh my God, Dottie's daughter and son found her sprawled on the bathroom floor. Sunny, Sunny Barcliff, Barcliff uh, is Dottie's daughter. I said that already. Mm-hmm. And she said, quote, she was cold, drenched with perspiration. My mom had been vomiting. She had extreme vertigo. She complained that she had difficulty with her vision and her vision was blurring. End quote. So they found her mom on the bathroom floor. Yeah. Like violently ill. That's not good. Yeah. Barcliffe and a friend also had minor bouts of nausea and fatigue after collecting and touching the mysterious goo. A newly adopted kitten, which lived outside, died days after a struggle with severe intestinal problems Hmm. after coming into contact with the goo. So, um, (laughs) Dottie, yeah, yeah, weird, Uh, right? Yeah, okay, very strange. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Yeah, (laughs) I don't like it one bit. No, Dottie spent the next three days in the hospital. The diagnosis. A severe inner ear infection. What? Yeah. Weird, right? That's very weird. So Beverly Roberts, another resident, said that everyone in town uh, contracted a flu-like illness that lasted two to three months. What? Additionally, several cats and dogs that came into contact with the substance fell ill and died. Oh, no. Yeah. But Dottie's daughter, Barcliffe, 
was suspicious of the inner ear infection diagnosis. Right, Quote, yeah. for some reason, as we are going... For some reason, as we were going out the door, I remembered the substance and I wondered if perhaps it might have some sort of an effect, if it, uh, if it might have had some sort of effect on her, if it might have made her sick. So I opted at that moment to take a sample of this gelatinous material to the hospital. Yeah. End quote. Good idea. Yeah. So, ready? Yeah. Th- it gets weirder. Okay. The story just keeps getting weirder. Oh, no. So, a lab technician found a startling clue. The substance contained human white blood cells. What? Yes. Yeah. What? But exactly what it was and why it fell from the sky could not be determined. The goo was immediately sent to the Washington State Department of Health. It was examined by microbiologist Mike McDowell. Quote, It was very... Uh, uniform. There was no structure uh, that we could see visibly or with a microscope. I set it up on various microbiological media and attempted to isolate bacteria, end quote. Mike McDowell discovered that the sample was full of two species of bacteria, one of which makes it home in the human digestive system. Hmm. Sonny Barcliff wondered if it was the human waste dropped from an airliner. Right. Yeah, that's... Quote, the FAA ruled that out because under the regulations, uh, human waste is dyed blue. The mm. substance was not blue. It was crystal clear in color. Weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The blobs rained down on Oakville six times over the three-week period, and dozens of people got sick. Several dogs, yeah, several dogs, yeah. Um, nearly a year after Dottie Hearn's illness, she took a sample of the material that she had stored in her freezer to a (laughs) private research lab. So they're like, bitches, what is this? Yeah. Tim Davis is a microbiologist with Amtest Laboratories, and he said, quote, I saw what I think was a eukaryotic uh, cell which is basically a cell that has a definable nucleus and is found present in most animals, end okay. quote. Okay, so... Translation, the goo was alive, but where did it come from? <laughs> Sunny Barcliffe recounted the theory, recounted one theory that she heard. Ready for this one? Yeah. Quote, Someone theorized that since the Navy had been conducting live bombing runs at sea, they might have blown up a school of jellyfish. Oh. And, of course, this jellyfish would have been thrown up into the air and floated 50 miles inland and over a period of three weeks fallen six times. She said, I find that somewhat preposterous. End quote. Yeah. I mean, especially since I said it had human white human blood cells. Human white blood cells, right? That's what I was saying, because I was like, oh, that sounds right. Then I'm like, but wait. They said it had yeah. human white blood cells. Could it be... And why would a jellyfish make everyone fall ill? Yeah. I mean, could it be that the uh, it was like, it was like human waste gen- jettisoned from an airplane that their just like blue dyeing system wasn't working for like six three weeks well that would insinuate that six times they a plane dropped waste on them and they were all not blue yeah it wouldn't just be a mistake of one plane right you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so the air force confirmed that practice bombing runs were being conducted over the pacific 
However, they denied any knowledge of the unknown, su unknown substance or any involvement in creating or dispersing it. Hmm. But some locals were not reassured. Uh, Sonny, <laughs> sure. Sonny said, quote, we had a significant amount of military aircraft flying over the home prior to this happening, mm -hmm. end quote. Dottie Hearn said, every day almost, we had slow-flying bombers, helicopters, all black in color, and we kind of thought maybe it might have come from them. That End seems quote. like a good guess. Mm -hmm. Maurice Gobiel, like I think another resident, said, yeah. they left off, uh, they let off things in the air all the time here. There's testing done all over the place. There are a lot of places you can't go into. End quote. Okay. So they think it's some sort of like... Yeah. So Beverly Roberts, one of the residents, yeah. says, quote, maybe we, maybe we were a biological experiment of some kind, that a small be. one, maybe just to get people a little bit sick to find out. Say, if an enemy did come over here with a biological bomb or something and dropped it, maybe it was just a test run to see how, what would happen, end quote. Because it is a tiny, small town. Right. It's probably very like, so they're like, all right. Yeah. I don't know how that's many people my... will actually get sick. Yeah. that's That seems like the best theory to me. Yeah. So far. So the main theory is the jellyfish one. Okay. So they think the military's naval bombing runs at sea had accidentally destroyed a school of jellyfish and sent their pieces flying into the atmosphere. Right. Um, let me see. Okay, the distance the parts would have traveled, the number of times it fell, and the lack of any rotting smell in it put this theory in doubt to most residents. Mm. While the Air Force confirms that they were doing practice bombing runs over the Pacific, blah, blah, blah they deny. Uh, some believe Oakville was the site of a military experiment designed to test a new biological weapon or to test the possible damage a biological attack on the U.S. soil could do. Uh, quote, we don't know what it is or where it came from, said Dick Meyer, spokesman for the Federal Aviation Administration in Seattle. <laughs> quote, it's a puzzle. <laughs> there have been no other confirmed reports of mysterious blobs, officials with several agencies said. But a National Weather Service employee in the area received a call from an unidentified man in early August describing hot metallic particles from the sky that burned holes in his children's trampoline. <laughs> Dr. David Little, who treated Barcliffe's mother, Dottie, said he doubted that Hearn's illness was connected to the strange blobs. Mm -hmm. The ear infection one? Yeah. Little said her dizziness and nausea appeared to be caused by an inner ear infection, like uh, yeah. inner ear problem. Right. But he agreed to have the lab look at the stuff anyway. Okay. Um. So Barcliffe thinks like some of these things are ridiculous. Uh. So... After more than a week's worth of phone calls to the state and federal agency, Barcliffe has persuaded the State Department of Ecology to conduct tests on the blobs. Okay. Uh, quote, we'll take a look at it, end quote, said Mike Oswheeler of the agency's hazardous material spill uh, response unit for southwest Washington. Okay. Osweiler had heard all the theories, including the jellyfish one. Yeah. <laughs> That, uh, quote, that's a long way for jellyfish to travel <laughs> unless they're shooting them in from the coast. And he said, this is a head scratcher. 
(laughs) (laughs) Barcliffe said she's more curious than concerned about the blobs, noting that the timing of the kitten's death and the illnesses might just be a coincidence. But the fact that the blobs have twice rained down on their house make her wonder what's going on. Weird. It's weird, she said. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is weird. So... Today, so this happened in 1994. Yeah. Today, it is impossible to say what the goo was or where it came from because all the evidence has disappeared. The Washington Department of Health says it can find no record of what happened to the samples it received. Same with everywhere else. Yeah, it was definitely a military experiment thing. Absolutely. If everyone lost their samples. Yeah. And they're like, I there's no record of really what happened there. Hmm. Okay. Sketchy. That's, or definitely some, yeah, either an intentional experiment or something. It's either something gone right or something gone wrong. Do you believe the jellyfish thing? No. It's, but I, or maybe it could be like, you know, they were pulled, travel, like, you know, there was a plane carrying something and it dropped too much or it did dropped it too early or something or it like i don't know i don't know that's either an experiment gone right or an experiment gone wrong that's i can't believe just some gelatinous blobs fell out of the sky weird and apparently it only happened when it was raining oh oh, so it happened while it was like it would start raining and then these gelatinous blobs would fall or some shit yeah that's what one of them said that it only happened when it was raining or could it just be like i don't know maybe they looked at it the wrong maybe they're wrong about that maybe it fell but it somehow when it wasn't raining it like evaporated or something or maybe there's no way it came out of the out of the clouds because it had it was alive like it had human blood cells in it which is weird yeah but it also can be found in most animals right and it had like bacteria in it mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah gut bacteria mm-hmm. weird maybe it was like uh this is the weirdest story i've ever heard because usually there's some explanation like when it like rains bugs you know right yeah. it's like uh what a bunch of wind or something <laughs> wind, yeah. a tornado like, or something yeah if it's like fish or frogs or something a yeah tornado, like, yeah, yeah yeah sucked them up from but a lake gelatinous blobs yeah that's super it, but it is weird that the mil- there was a strong military presence there that week yeah that couple weeks like there were lots of weird mm-hmm. planes flying overhead and like the fact that it made everyone sick and yeah, killed animals. I know. Very mm. weird. Like two to three months feet like flu like yeah. symptoms. And then other people were just like on the ground, like vomiting and couldn't move. Wow. That's and it was right. just they just touched it. They didn't even like consume it. They just touched it. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they were maybe they were trying to s- drop something and see if it would like dissolve in the rain or like how if it would like if the rain would if it could like mix in with the rain or something so it'd be undetectable or like totally like some experiment yeah which is ridiculous i can't believe that well i mean i don't also they don't want to admit that they were like they blew up some jellyfish i feel Mm. like they should just run with it be like yeah we accidentally hit a, a, a little family of jellyfish and that's what it is 
Yeah. But also, I feel like if anyone didn't, exp- like, looked at it, they'd be like, yeah, this is a jellyfish. <laughs> Not, there's human white blood cells in here. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to say that, that seems... Mm, that doesn't make any It would make sense. it more obvious a cover-up, I guess. I mean, that and would... no one really believes, in the town, believes the jellyfish hmm. theory. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, why did it make us sick? Why? How did it travel so far? Why did it happen so many times? Yeah. Usually it's like a one-time thing. Like, frogs are falling from the sky. Right. It's once. Not or maybe, a few times. Maybe the, like, samples really did just, like, disappear. They just, like disappeared at some point maybe they weren't like hidden maybe they, it was like in like that uh in like the color out of space the lovecraft story where the uh piece of the meteorite they take to the lab it just slowly like gets smaller and shrinks and like just disappears eventually i think it was a cover-up yeah i think so too i think the government was like we need those back Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah i just don't i wonder what was it okay so, do we think that they were intentionally do you, so do you think it's more they were like testing a specific agent or they're testing like delivery system for an agent for like a chemical thing? I don't know. Or was it like yeah, potential fallout from it or was it like accidentally released over the town? I don't those think times? it was an accidental thing. Yeah, I doubt it. So it happened six times in three weeks. So weird. Over the same town. Do you have theories about it? Do you have like any specific? No, I mean, I believe the jellyfish one for a while, but then that doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You'd have to bomb a lot of jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. And... Again, it doesn't explain the human white blood cells. I'm confused what they were... Te- like, maybe... It- I just don't think it could be accidentally released that many times. Yeah, no, I agree. Then the airplane waste made sense to me, but it's right. blue. Right. So, and I then mean... if it was just one time, I'm like, maybe it was uh, not working, but... Yeah, and somehow made it clear. Clear. I'm like, why was it crystal right. clear that's yeah. waste waste is not crystal clear yeah and also i just jellyfish i don't think jellyfish being blown up would create a crystal clear substance either no gelatinous I... clear material right there are different colors sometimes maybe it's a stumper it's a, it's a real isn't it a crazy story and it like is. we'll it's never really know really weird yeah we'll i know never know <laughs> that's what sucks sometimes these things just happen mm-hmm. so i got my sources from unsolved.com because <laughs> uh, it was on a episode i think of uh uh unsolved mysteries or something got one from i'm i the Lewiston Tribune. Um, I got an article from an old newspaper uh-huh. from the back in the day, August 19th, 90, 1994, the Rutland Daily Herald. And the title is funny. That's why I read it. 
Hmm. Um, the title is uh, Blobs from Space. Blobs from They're strange. <laughs> They're gooey. They're falling from the sky. <laughs> that's the title of the article in the newspaper. That's a newspaper headline. <laughs> Goo. The Rutland Daily Herald. Blobs from Space. <laughs> so that's where I got my info from. <laughs> it's crazy. It's weird. I think it's a weird story. It is. Very weird. And I feel like you would do an experiment on such a tiny town. You know, you wouldn't do it on Chicago. Right. Yeah. You would pick a place out in the middle of nowhere on Mm -hmm. a tiny little town. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes weird things just happen in tiny little towns. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it just is a weird thing that happens and you never know what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's such a weird story. I'm so confused. I know. I don't... Mm. I don't know what to do with it. I, like, want to do more research on it, but that's about all you can find. Hmm. Like, I read so many things. I read so many articles, and those were three or four were the best ones mm-hmm. that had, like, all the information in it, basically. Yeah. So. <sighs> okay. I don't know. Yeah. Before you start, I need to pee. Okay. Are you ready to start? Uh, after you pee, yeah. Okay. We're back. We are back. Are you ready to tell your story? Um, yes. Okay. Yep. Sorry, we did not have much time to do this research because, uh, well, our roommates moved out. Mm-hmm. And then we have to clean because new roommates are coming in tomorrow. Yes. So it's been a very long week but we didn't want to delay the episode so we're doing it <laughs> yep we're gonna muddle our way through yeah i'm i did way less research and preparation than i'm used to yeah well try we'll, it we'll do Let's our do best it. we'll see how it goes yeah all right so this might be a short one yeah we'll it's see. okay though at 1 a.m eastern time on april 17th 2013 a twitter user at jtsar made a post saying, J underscore Tsar, made a post saying, I'm a stress-free kind of guy. Okay. So it, That's it? That's the story? Then? Yeah, that's the whole story. Okay. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is weird. Uh, no. No, this tweet. There's something interesting about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's special about this tweet is that at J underscore Tsar uh, posted it while he was the subject of an FBI manhunt for his role in a terrorist bombing. What? Okay. <laughs> uh, this was a... What was... What? What's Nothing. Up? Nothing. Okay. You, you, what? I was trying to see if the eyelash bug was still on the ceiling. <laughs> you, like, rapidly, like, Because I came to my mind. Like, so I looked. Yeah, and I said, what? And you said nothing. Yeah, because I didn't want to talk about it. I thought you would just ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was not able to ignore it. I'm trying to look for it. I, I looked this morning after you said it was on the ceiling and I didn't see oh, it. Oh, that's terrifying. Okay, yeah. it was like this big. It's in the bed. It was huge. It was giant. <laughs> All right. Continue. Um, Where was I? Uh, this was Jakar uh, Jakar Tsarnaev. Uh, and two days earlier, on April 15th, he and his brother had detonated two pressure cooker bombs mm. near the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Oh, shoot. The blast killed three people and injured hundreds more. Yeah. 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 So that's just a... Oh, my gosh. 
Contacts. Anyway, yeah. so the next day, um, uh, his Tokar's brother, um, Tamerlan, who, or, yeah, Tamerlan, <laughs> Tam- <laughs> he would be killed in a shootout with uh, FBI and police. And a day after that, Tokar would be taken into custody. Um, he was originally sentenced to death uh, mm-hmm. for it, but a few days ago, he was that was overturned and he though he's still serving several uh life sentences yeah i'd assume yeah yeah anyway so in his his defense attorney um brought up something when they were uh when he was being defended <laughs> um, okay Anyway, uh, at the original trial, yeah, or at his the... first, yeah, okay. his first trial. Uh, she brought up that. Um, where, where, How could sorry. you defend these guys? Well, I mean, she didn't dispute that anything that, like, you know, he was involved in the bombing or or that, you know, yeah, he, they'd like run from the cops and stuff. Um, but so they pleaded guilty. I'm assuming. yeah, they pleaded guilt. They pled guilty and stuff. Um, they pled guilty. Sorry. It's, I, I'm also just sorry for saying that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Continue. So Carr's lawyers stated in court records, we f- we have reason to believe that Tamerlan misinterpreted the visits and discussion with the FBI. Oh, wait. What? No. Sorry. Uh, No. I'm confused. During Jakar's trial, his defense attorneys raised provocative questions about the FBI's mysterious involvement with Tamerlan. Okay. Tamerlan. Had agents pressured him to be an informant? And if so, did that pressure play a role in the bombings? Mm. Quote, we base this on information from our client's family and other sources that the FBI made more than one visit to talk with Tamerlan's parents, Anzor, Zubidat, and Tamerlan, questioned Tamerlan about his internet searches and asked him to be an informant, reporting on the Chechen and Muslim community. So the FBI went to him? Yeah, they... Told him to be an informant. Right. And then he did these... Or what are they saying about that? That it stressed him out or something? Um, that... Either that... Basically, yeah, that his... He wanted out? That he was an informant and he basically went rogue at some point for some reason. And he was able to carry out the bombings due to him, like, being, like, protected by the FBI up to that point. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Are they saying the FBI is in on this? Um, no? not necessarily. Okay. More just that it could, it, it's possible that they were. It could be that he, they were trying to get him to like plan an attack so that they could arrest him or that he like took things too far or they, they were trying to get him to recruit people to do a terrorist attack and then he actually carried out the attack. Oh, shoot. Oh, Wow. Okay. That like, or that, you know, he, he could have been, it could have been stopped if the FBI weren't trying to use him as an informant to, uh, inform on. What was he trying to, what was he an informant for again? Um. I just don't know how FBI informant things work, so I don't quite understand. Yeah, so basically. So he was trying, he was going to like spy, basically. Yeah, basically. Okay. Mm -hmm. On a a community, what community? Uh, the Muslim and Chechen communities. So they, 
So the theory is maybe, one of the theories is maybe he was trying to recruit one of those, some people from those communities to do an attack? It's, I I think that the, so I'm taking some of this from an article. I'm asking too many questions. No, it's fine. So this is from an article by Michelle McPhee, um, who also wrote a book on the topic. I'm also looking at a few other articles as well. Okay. Um, I don't think she's saying that the FBI, like, got him to do it. I think that she's saying that he was probably an FBI informant or, and they pressured him in ways that made... It's, it's unclear exactly why he did it. Um, it could be because directly because from the FBI, like, him misinterpreting things from them. Oh. Or... Because they like went back on a deal or something with him and he went rogue or he just kind of, he was, you know, an unstable person who they shouldn't have been working with anyway. And he went rogue. There, there are many possibilities. So is it, did he say he was an informant? Is that where they got that from? Did he like admit Um, that? So, well, he was, he was dead by the time they were. So the, this so he's the one that died. The, this theory first came up in yeah he was the one who died. Okay. Uh, the younger brother Jakar is the one who well, that's lived. That's why they killed him. Who he yeah he lived and so in his defense trial this fear theory first came up and you know his def- the defense was basically that he was like kind of roped into it by his big brother. He wasn't like the mastermind of it. He was just kind of his brother like you know just persuaded him to get into it as well. <laughs> okay. Anyway. You know, that's why he shouldn't get the death penalty, at least. Right. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay. So, um, all right. So, in 2011, um, uh, the Russian FSB, um, their intelligence, their uh, federal security bureau or something, I don't remember what the B stands for. Mm-hmm. Something in Russian. Yeah. Federal security thing. Their version of the FBI. They were already worried about um, Tamerlan and his mother, Zubidat. Um, so in an unusual move, the agency shared its concerns with counterterrorism counterparts in the United States. Um, so, you know, they, to say the least, the relationship between the two countries, the U.S. and Russia both of which were trying to eradicate uh, Islamic terrorism, was based more on need than on trust. But anyway, so on March 4th, 2011, the FSB sent its first message uh, to the FBI's attaché in Moscow. Later, it sent the same memo to the CIA. Okay. Um, While the FBI refuses to release a copy of the letter, FSB officials read it to a congressional delegation that included Representative William Keating, a Democrat from Massachusetts and a former prosecutor. It was an amazing it was amazing in its detail dealing with Tamerlan Tsarnaev, Keating later said. The later the letter um, described intercepted text messages between Tamerlan, his mother, and Magomed Kartashov, her second cousin, a former Dagestan police officer who had become a prominent Islamist and leader of a group called Union of the Just, a Muslim advocacy group that has been banned in Russia because of its alleged affiliations with Muslim militants. Uh, the organization sympathized with radical Islamic insurgents who had declared war against Vladimir Putin's Russian forces. Zubidat and Tamerlan, the letter stated, were becoming adherents of radical Islam. 
Okay. <laughs> anyway, so the... <laughs> what? You need to look at the little tiny little lines are. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so the FSB provided uh, this letter, uh, full names, addresses, and phone numbers um, for, like, everyone in the Tsarnaev family. Mm -hmm. um, according to the FBI, it warned that, that Tamerlan had changed drastically since 2010 and was preparing to travel to a part of Russia to join unspecified underground groups, namely violent radical Islamist groups in the Caucasus, who formed their own bandit groups, which were essentially ragtag insurgency gangs. Okay. Um, so they this letter was sent to the FBI. Um, a special agent in that in the Boston Counterterrorism Division, um, who was referred to in, in who was referred to in reports as the the CT agent, was assigned was assigned to conduct what the FBI called a threat assessment based on the information that the FSB had shared. Um, in the months before Tamerlan left Boston for Russia, the CT agent interviewed Tamerlan and his parents and reported his findings. Um, and rec rec the report concluded that there's no public evidence that he talked to, that the CT agent uh, even talked to Tamerlan's wife or visited his mosque, which is the Islamic Society of Boston, um, where Tamerlan prayed, despite its rumored connections to radical Islamists. The FBI would later issue a statement that in response to the FSB's later, agents checked U.S. government databases and other information to look for such things as derogatory telephone communications, possible uses of online sites associated with the promotion of radical activity, um, associations with other persons of interest, travel history and plans, and education history. The FBI also interviewed the Tamerlan Tsarnaev and family members. The FBI did not find any terrorism activity, domestic or foreign. And they closed that investigation, but still uh, put him on two terrorism watch lists. <laughs> Can you summarize everything you've said so okay. far? So basically, I'm confused. Uh, I mean, I'm just a little confused. So, like, so the Russians um, have there's a area of Russia called the Caucasus um, where there's Russia like came in and like you know started subjugating Muslims there, and so there is a large like um, you know a large like Muslim radical like uh group there so russia keeps tabs on them um uh to try to and they're they worry about like um russia keeps tabs on who uh the the uh people involved with radical muslim groups in the caucasus um which is where tamerlan and his family immigrated to the u.s from and so they were they russia was like skeptical of this guy they thought uh we think he's going to be a terrorist um and they told the u.s that which is very unusual for them to do they would have to be really worried about a guy um to do that um and the fbi like looked into it and was like nah he's good uh but they but even after that they still put him on two terrorism watch lists um okay yeah so the first was the terrorist none I of this makes sense Sorry. Okay. No, I mean I understand. It's just weird. Like none of it. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, on January 21st, 2012, Tamerlan de departed from Boston's Logan Airport and connected at JFK for a flight to Moscow. Okay. Um, yeah, by then he was on two different terrorist watch lists, um, though that fact never slowed him down. Um, he was in the Terrorist Identities Data Mart Environment Tide or Tide database, um, which is um, the big main one that um, you know all international terrorist identifier information shared by the FBI, CIA, and a bunch of other intelligence agencies. Um, and he was also on a second watch list called Tex. Um, and, you know, the purposes of these is that, you know, whenever someone on one of these watch lists, like, gets on a plane, especially out of the country, it's a, f a flag goes up. So, yeah. and they're, you know, you pay special attention to them and where they're going and stuff. Yeah. And that did not happen at all. Um, okay. So, and count, or at least there's no record of that happening, happening at all. Um, the... You know, techs aimed at flagging potential terror suspects, and you're supposed to report any encounter with a traveler, a memorable event, a memorable event, or noteworthy item of information, particularly when they observe behavior. Blah blah blah. That you know, they're in. They're basically just make a report when you see when one of these people on this list is traveling out of the country. Mm -hmm. um, after six months in Russia, upon he came back to the United States after spending time overseas in a terrorist hotspot. He faced little to no resistance from U.S. Customs. Um, you know, the whole purpose of putting on these watch lists was to create an alert system, but inexplicably that never happened. Um, then, as there, if that wasn't, you know, that's a little bit weird, but then it's weirder that he, when he came back into the U.S., he didn't have a passport, and he still wasn't on, put on either and of these. Did, and he got through? Yeah, so... How does he even do that? He, he reported that it was stolen. Um, so they just let him through. To his wife. Uh, the last valid port passport that Tamerlan possessed came from Kyrgyzstan, um, where he'd grown up. Um, that was supposed to expire later in 2012. Um, he applied for a Russian passport to replace that one. Um, but he left Russia without ever collecting his new passport. Um, okay. you know, when he landed at Logan, uh, airport on July 17th, 2012, he had no problem whatsoever. A customs agent scanned Tar Tsarnaev's alien registration card into the computer system, um, used during primary inspection. Uh, the card was valid and as a result, CBP, Customs and Border, Customs and Border Protection, took his picture, collected his fingerprints, confirmed his identity, and admitted him in, into the country based on his legal permanent residence status. However, the Customs and Border Protection officer who processed Tamerlan told investigators he could not recall process, processing him or if he alerted the FBI regarding his return to the United States without a passport. Um, Is that, like, really sketchy for some reason? That he didn't have a passport? Well, I mean... Uh, Other yeah. than the fact that he shouldn't have gotten through, or... Well, I mean, it's supposed... I mean, you're not supposed to be able to, like, come into or out of the country without a passport, especially... Yeah, and two people just kind of waved him through, right? Yeah, and, you know, he is on a terrorist watch list. He was going to an area of the world with a lot of terrorist activity, Mm -hmm. basically um yeah. and no one raised any red flags about this mm. okay mm -hmm. 
Um, Stranger Still was the testimony from then Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano um, uh, during a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on immigration policy in 2013, after just days after Tamerlan died, um, that the name on his airline ticket did not match the name on his green card, saying there was a mismatch. What? She publicly declined to elaborate. What? So first, you're not supposed to be able to like travel in and out of the country without a passport. Right. Sec- um, you're any, you know, like if you have all. a... I feel yeah. like that's the thing that you just, like, you can't travel without that thing. Yes, you exactly. You can't just be like, oh, I don't have it. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't make any sense. Then even if you do have a passport, your name on that has to like match exactly your name on your like ticket. All your... You can't like... You but know. his like card didn't match what his ticket said. Yeah, that well... Even. Like, Janet, you know, the Homeland Security Secretary just said that, yeah, the yeah the name on his ticket didn't match the name on his green card, which he used instead of his passport because he didn't have a passport. Okay. And he was able to get through. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if all of this is, you know, strange, it could just be, like, very negligent. Uh, looking to the casual observer, yeah. Um, but apparent, according apparently to the trained eye, it might look like something else entirely. Former uh, police, former Somerville police chief Tom Pescorello, also a, a longtime DEA, DEA agent who has supervised his own confidential informants, had noticed similarities between Tamerlan's case and his own use of so-called CIs during multiple takedowns all over the world. As a longtime law enforcement official, he says, the seeming coincidences cannot be ignored. They make no, f- no sense. Not Tamerlan's trip to Russia, nor his return without a passport while on two separate terror watch lists. Unless, that is, Tamerlan was trying to lure like-minded radicals in an effort to collect information and report back to U.S. law enforcement. You pull a string in Tamerlan's life, Pasquarello said, and all you get is unanswered questions. There are a few other weird things about it. So what is he saying there? Basically that, you know, or this guy thinks that um, the reason he was allowed to travel to Russia and back was that the FBI was 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 sending him there. Yeah. To get information on people. Yeah. And then he came back. And so then they were told, these other people were told, yeah, just let him in. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Or if they like raised any flags, those were then deleted after the fact, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And there's, yeah. Base. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that would make sense, because that doesn't make any sense that he was able to get through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also weird that he, on his death certificate, his um, his uh, occupation was uh, listed as never employed, like he'd never had a job in the U.S. Um, but, uh, yeah, he... Is that he, true? Um, I didn't find any evidence of him necessarily having a job. Like, so... His life, he came to the U.S. with his parents. Uh, he was like, I think, in his late teens or early 20s um, when he did. And he was just kind of like a just kind of like a party boy mm-hmm. type of guy. He was just, you know, he'd like go to DJs and like be uh, just parties and stuff. Okay. But then around like 2008 to 2010, he became really into like, uh, he started going to this mosque in Boston and became really into Islam. He like became really religious 
he like started doing all this stuff um and he went to this one particular mosque um the institute how did he make money well i mean the he he had a mercedes and stuff and like a bunch of other very nice you know he seemed to be living well beyond the means of someone who never had a job in the u.s yeah wait what and so, I so mean, he never had like a job. Yeah, he never had a job, and yet had you know money for a money. M- brand new Mercedes to drive around and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he was absolutely the some sort kind of, of person spy. who could be getting money from the FBI. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And so then he he started going to this mosque that I mentioned earlier. Um, what was it called? I don't remember what it was. Uh, the Islamic Society of Boston Mosque, which is a, a mosque that is, yeah, you know, looked after frequently by the FBI as they believe it has ties to uh, potential terrorist groups overseas. Oh, so that's why he was going there. So it's potential. To look it's after the, it. Yeah, part of the theory is that, yeah, they had him, uh, you know, he, he speaks multiple languages. He has an American wife. He really wants to be an American citizen um, is another part of it. Yeah. Um, and so the theory is that they, like, got him to, like, yeah, become an informant and infiltrate this mosque. And then they started having to do other stuff, like go overseas and stuff. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is totally, that's totally what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the theory is that in exchange for him, you know, money as well as him helping him become a an american citizen um this was the deal um Mm -hmm. because he he really wanted to be on the olympic boxing team uh he participated in a uh a photojournalism series um called will will fight for passport or something or will box for passport um it was about immigrant boxers basically in boston and it was you know he was in that talking about how he really wanted to he was training super hard to be on the olympic boxing team but he couldn't because he was he wasn't a citizen he mm-hmm. really wanted to be a citizen like well, for all the time that he lived in the u.s mm-hmm. um and so but um f- five months or no uh, soon after that photo series he got arrested in a domestic violence case and so that would put a halt for five years on him being able to become a citizen if you have any like arrests basically especially for a violent thing Mm -hmm. but less than a year after that his application to become an american citizen um was uh, continuing to move forward or his his uh, process was reopened basically oh Mm mm-hmm great um yeah sounds so good um sounds good um he did not he it it started to go through for a while and then he was going to like take the oath and stuff and do all like take the test and stuff and then he for some reason he was not able to uh, the documents to like get his record and stuff were delayed and mm-hmm. so um a few days later an immigration 
An services officer emailed the FBI CT agent saying that Tamerlan's name had popped up on a terrorist watch list and asked if he represented a national security concern. The next day, the CT agent who investigated the initial the initial warning from Russia um, assured immigration officials in writing that Tamerlan was not a risk if he gained full citizenship. Mm. There is no national security concern related to Tamerlan Tsarnaev and nothing that I know of that should preclude issuance of whatever is being applied for. Why was he still on that list then? Why wasn't he just taken off? I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. There's a lot that doesn't make sense in the whole thing. Um, McPhee says that, yeah. Um, uh, though McPhee says that Tamerlan went to Russia to join the jihad. He was there for six months, came back, and breezed through customs to fight the fact that he was on multiple watch lists. He was there to meet with specific Russian Islamic radicals, um, including his wife, his mom's second cousin, and another guy who was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a weird thing about his meeting with these radicals while he was in Russia is that he made he made recordings of his conversations with them for some reason. <laughs> this is so obviously like he is. Mm-hmm. An FBI informant. And at the same time that he was in uh, Dagestan, uh, in Russia, um, there was also a flurry of counterterrorism operations in the region during the same six-month period when Tsarnaev was there, hmm. um, including one um, the day before he left, where um, one of the people who he met with was killed by Russian security forces. So he met with these people, recorded conversations with them, um, there's a Russian sting that kills the people at this camp, including one of the people he talked to, who was lead, who was the leader of it. Mm-hmm. And then a day later, he leaves Russia to go back to the U.S. And or this he guy l- dies. Yeah. Um, Wait, who dies? The one he talked to? Yeah, the guy he talked so to. So he died a day after he talked to him. Uh, I don't remember how long before. I don't know how long before he died, how long he talked to him before he died. But the day after he died, Tamerlan left Russia. Oh, okay. So he talked to this guy, records conversations. Sometime later, like a little, like during the same trip to Russia, the guy dies the day the day after, after Tamerlan leaves. Leaves. Because yeah. the mission was complete. Because the mission was complete. Um, hmm. Let's see. Um, what else was there? Oh, um... He also, three people who he knew um, were murdered in 2011. Um, oh my gosh. In the, uh, sorry, uh, p- three people who he was, who he knew in relation to um, like the mixed martial arts like scene mm-hmm. were killed, partially decapitated in an apartment. Oh my gosh. Um, they were all like, you know, people who he was familiar with or, or who he was like sort of, you know, he was acquaintances with them. Yeah. Um, this was, uh, yeah, about a year before he went to Russia. Um, he told a guy there was there's some um, saying um, about making them uh, cutting off their their cap and making them kneel before you of like you know of enemies of the Muslim faith basically mm-hmm. um, that uh, you know people like and that he was like 
that he was talking about with people when he got there. Um, you know, it's usually not taken so literally that, you know, cut off people's heads and make them kneel before you. But that's what it seems like happened in this murder of wow. three people that Tamerlan was acquainted with. Yeah. It's, uh, around the time that he was getting super into um, Muslim extremism. Yeah. And mm. uh, he, the... Uh, the murder was pinned on another person who was happened to be killed um, in a in a shootout with the FBI. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> who his his attachments to them are like pretty strained at best, and it's not clear why he would decapitate them in any way. Yeah, um, <laughs> he was just a another random person who might have known them and there's not a clear motive as to why he would have done it oh. <laughs> yeah and so tamerlan was you know he was cleared of that um without being looked into at all oh my gosh um yeah um and so then he he kept going through the immigration process until january 23rd tamerlan made a second attempt to become a u.s citizen mm-hmm. he had an interview with customs officials to discuss documentation related to his arrest for domestic violence, and fully expected to walk away with his citizenship. Instead, the officer wrote, the paperwork relating to this dismissal of charges and his domestic violence arrest did not arrive and his status was delayed. Again. Uh-oh. Two weeks later, on February 6, 2013, an angry Tamerlan walked into Phantom Fireworks in Seabrook, New Hampshire, and asked for the biggest and loudest pyrotechnics in the store. So it seems like he was being strung along by the FBI and yep. trying to like say, yeah, keep doing stuff and we'll get you. We'll get you that citizenship. And he never got it. And so he eventually snapped. This makes so much sense. And then after after the um, after the bombings and stuff, when they were doing the investigation, after he was dead and Zakhar was in custody. So he was shot by the FBI. He was shot in a by shootout, the FBI right? in a shootout. Yep. He was shot Sketchy. by them. Sketchy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, kill him. Right. You have and to kill him. And then the brother lived. Um, but anyway, after after the shootout and after the brother was in custody, the FBI went to interview one of Tamerlan's close friends, um, who he was really close with and who mm-hmm. may or may not have known about the plot. Um, okay. They talked to him and it's to interview him and at some point during the conversation one way or another the friend ended up getting shot in the back of the head and died oh <laughs> because the friend knew he was an fbi informant could be that's why <laughs> obviously yeah oh my gosh <laughs> hey, this is so bad yeah it's not. It's not great. Um, yeah, and then I was also. So it was all the FBI's fault. They it could were be. mean to an FBI informant. I yeah. I they mean, they strung him along. They probably did. Yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have gotten that. I mean, I mean, you know, things like yeah. I mean, the FBI uses like you know informants all the time. All and the it's, time. They it's, use them all the time too. They right. don't ever give them what they there actually are, say. Between 15,000 and 20,000 um, confidential informants uh, being used by the FBI, like, at this moment, mm-hmm. U.S., around the U.S., um, you, typically people with criminal records or who 
are, you know, <laughs> just want to like have, you know, glory or, you know, feel like a secret agent or they just want to like get, get money out of the FBI. I don't know. It's, it's a, and you know, it, when they do this, the FBI will like excuse a lot of uh, bad things that people do. They will, you know, make sure they don't face consequences for their past crimes. They will mm-hmm. help cover up crimes that they're committing while they're an FBI agent. They will facilitate further crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was also going to talk about mm-hmm. a case in Canada. Did you okay. want to hear about that at all? I mean, yeah. I, it'll, I'll try to it'll try to be quicker. Yeah. Is it connected? Um, it's not like it's it's another thing about like a potential confidential informant. Okay. Um, so back in April, I think April 23rd of, no, early April of this year. Okay. Um, there was a shooting in Nova Scotia, Canada, where this guy, Gabriel Wartman, um, he yeah. drove around in a, uh, in a former cop car that he owned. Yeah. It looked like a cop car and he wore a... RCMP uniform, Royal Royal Canadian Mounted Police, yeah, Mounted uniform, and he um, got went to people's houses around this neighborhood and tied them up and shot them and burned their houses down. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that happened. Yeah, it was oh a big. My gosh. Yeah, it was a it is the deadliest mass shooting in Canadian history, um, and like violent, like yeah. not but like just. Or multiple shootings like, and fires at wow. 16 locations in the Canadian province oh of Nova Scotia, gosh. killing 22 people and injuring three others before he was shot and killed by Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Enfield. Oh, my goodness. It was a 13-hour spree um, where he impersonated a police officer. Yeah, um, that's how you do it. Yeah, and ob- obtained several firearms illegally, um, but... Um, during I never this... want a police officer to come into my apartment or house. I'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want you coming in here while I'm by myself. <laughs> so during this shooting, police were criticized, or, you know, I guess after the shooting, but police were criticized for not using alert ready to warn the public about the attacks, as well as not responding to reports of his behavior and previous attacks, uh, acts of domestic violence. Mm. Um. Yeah, the alert ready thing is, you know, like an Amber Alert thing or like a storm warning type thing that, Mm -hmm. you know, they can just tell everyone, you know, which you would think that during a 13 hour crime spree where people are being shot in front of their homes and their homes burnt down, they would use. Yes. (laughs) To tell people to stay inside. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I said on April 18th to 19th, right? But anyway. Okay, so anyway, yeah, this guy had a history of, um, you know, complaints about domestic violence. Um, he lived next door to a um, a drug trafficker. He was he was close with several members of the Hell's Angels wow. in Canada. He was he had people connected to drug trafficking in Canada, um, but there was you know law enforcement did not you know ever take seriously people's accusations of violence or complaints about him at all or you know look into his mm-hmm. uh many possession of illegal firearms and stuff yeah um, but anyway it's the uh 
on March 30th. So 19 days before the shootings, um, he withdrew $475,000 in cash. Um, Why did he have so much money? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> he did uh... own two businesses. He, he rented out cars and he made dentures. But okay. neither of these companies, um, from people who've looked into it, um, s- there's Maybe. no evidence that they would make that amount of money even combined. Oh my gosh. Or they would, you know, or even have that money amount on hand, wow. especially. Yeah, I'm like, who has that much money that they can just take out? That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it seems, so what he did, Gabriel Wartman. Uh, withdrew the money from a Brinks deposit in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, on March 30th, stashing a carry-all filled with $100 bills in the trunk of his car. Um, According to a source close to the police investigation, the money came from CIBC Intria, a subsidiary of the chartered bank that handles currency transactions. Sources in both banking and the RCMP say the transaction is consistent with how the RCMP funnels money to its confidential informants and agents, and it's not an option available to private banking customers. Okay. Um, you know, the RCMP has repeatedly said that it had no special relationship with him, but, um, you know, according to confident, you know, anonymous sources within the Mounties and people... Uh, involved with banking Mm -hmm. say that this is like basically exactly the way that you get money to somebody quickly um when you can't do it officially basically okay um and there is no way a civilian can just make an arrangement like that so like brinks you know is like you know the armored car company um Mm -hmm. you know yeah you can't just go up to one of their buildings or and just take out money basically That's like, you know, only a thing. You know, even if even if you're a private citizen, like you can't just do that. That's like only the way they do it with um, you know, the police and stuff. Okay. Um yeah. and that's evidence enough. <laughs> yeah. For me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this is exactly the way that if they want to get if they need to get money to a confidential informant quickly, but they can't go through you know, they can't do that through official, you know, uh, avenues is mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for. That is, like, exactly the way they do it. They wire money to a bank account, then send it to Brinks for okay. them to pick it up. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that is what uh, Wartman did 19 days before he went on this mass shooting spree um, that police were slow to react to. And there were plenty of red flags for that they did not look into at all. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a an inquiry going on, sort of. There are, like, three people that are allowed, that are, like, looking into it by the government. I don't remember the, what the name of it is, but they're, you know, they are not allowed to subpoena witnesses or request, like, con- uh, classified documents or anything. Mm-hmm. They're only, you know, and they have no obligation for any of what they find to be made public or anything about their inquiry to be made public. The... Uh, the Canadian government has been has uh, denied requests for there to be a public inquiry, a public inquiry into it, with like an actual like you know investigation that is you know publicly mm-hmm. accountable, um, mm-hmm. saying that they don't want to re-traumatize the victims and stuff, 
despite the t- fact that 300 members of victims' families and people close to them have been protesting outside of courthouses in um, calling oh. for a public inquiry into Because <laughs> I happened. was like, oh, that makes sense, but if... Uh, yeah, the people who they're worried about re-traumatizing are saying, are no, please, saying, we want... please do this. Please, we want an inquiry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that, these two are very obviously they were they were some they were like informants for the police. It's yeah. So it seems like oh yeah, the Mountie says that's what we do when we need flash money for a buy. We don't keep stashes of money around the office when we suddenly need a large sum of money to make a buy or something. That's the route we take. I think with the Brinks transaction, you've proved with that single fact that he mm-hmm. had a relationship with the police. He was either a CI or an agent. Yeah. Yeah, it's so obvious. the theory is that he was, you know, this neighbor of his who was involved in drug trafficking, they were having him inform on this neighbor oh, or his yeah. other, okay. you know, with his yeah. other connections in the Hells Angels and stuff. And, but, you know, he was an unstable individual who at some point snapped. Great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would yeah. make uh, sense. Anyway. So uh, that's that's a great thing. Would you ever be an FBI informant? No, I'm not a snitch. What if they were like five billion dollars? I mean, I guess it depends what they want me to do. I don't. I if they're like, we want you to. I don't want to like have to do all of these things all the time. Like if they expect me to do one thing, they'll expect me to do a million things. Right. Or they'll kill me. I don't. I don't, I don't know what they would ask me to inform on, and I don't think you I thought there's know. nothing I could think of that I would. I mean, if they were like, we're looking for, I guess, evidence of, I don't know, wage theft from your employer or something. I guess I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll get in on that. Yeah, <laughs> but nothing too scary. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess that would be, like, a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. basically anything else the FBI would ask me to do, I'd say no. I'd Actually, like, even uh, that, no. I don't want to work with the FBI. Yeah. I'd be nervous that they'd keep asking me for things. and. Yeah, definitely. And then if I said I didn't want to do stuff anymore, they'd frame me for something and kill me. Yeah. But also I feel like if I said no, they would frame me for something and kill me. Right. Yeah, so, like... Oh, God, I don't hope the FBI never approaches me. <laughs> <laughs> all right sorry that was long and not well organized no it was good i thought it was good but uh i'm uh, like really hungry yeah i'm starving we should end the podcast all right so we can get food yep okay all right. bye everyone thanks for listening folks i've been harry i'm still carly and this has been no 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 pull it up i we were doing this so fast just do it i'm i'm getting it um This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye!